My name is Bobby Crotty. I have the privilege of serving as the men's equipping director here. Uh, Blake's out of town, uh, um, so this week uh, I'm going to have a chance to uh, talk a little bit about um, Genesis 12 and 13. And then my buddy John Elmore right down here, sitting up front and paying attention this week, uh, is going to have a chance to be with you next week to talk about Genesis 14 through 17. So it's going to be a fun time. Uh, Blake will be back to land the ship, uh, um, I guess, uh, on March the 7th or so. Uh, But we'll have a fun time today talking about um, one of the pivotal chapters, uh, one of the pivotal passages in all of Scripture as we talk about Abraham's call uh, back in the days when he was Abram. All right, so um, let's uh, take a minute and we'll pray and uh, see some more guys wander in here. Come on in and grab a seat and then we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of men who seek to follow your call. And so, Lord, you know, you ask us to do some uh, crazy things, and probably none crazier than the things that you asked of uh, our father Abraham. And, uh, Lord, we just uh, uh, we stand in awe of his example of faith. And um, we ask, Father, that we might be men who are willing to respond to your call in um, a like manner. So be with us this morning, Father, and may we uh, uh, unfold the uh, truths of your scripture And then may we take those truths and apply them in our daily lives. So thanks for this time. Christ's name, amen. All right, well, let's get rolling and take just a quick look back at what we've done. You've seen this chart a ton. You know, we're not asking you to do memory verses this time, but we are asking you to learn and be able to tell others about the story of Genesis. So we've got four events, and those events are creation, Fall, flood, and the Tower of Babel. So we've gone through those in our uh, first four weeks. And now we're going to make a big shift. And we're moving over to talk about four men, four people, four patriarchs, if you will. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these guys are going to be the focus of the rest of our time, both uh, this spring and all of next fall. Okay? So four events, four people. And as you look at each one of the patriarchs, take a look and and ask yourself, so how are they similar? And how are they different? And what do they do that I should emulate? What do they do that ought to be true in my own life? And then ask yourselves, what do they do that I should not do? And we're going to get to see... Both of those things portrayed today as we look at Genesis 12 and 13. All right? And so, as always, we've got our handy-dandy little chart. I hope you guys are filling this out as you go, because when we're done, you will have the book of Genesis in a nutshell. And so this week we uh, have chapters 12 and 13. Uh, We've called that Abraham's faith and folly in chapter 12. And then uh, in chapter 13... Abraham and Lot, Abraham's forbearance. You can see the key verses that uh, uh, we picked, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 and 14 through 17 of uh, chapter 13. And so we have the uh, call of Abraham, uh, or Abram, uh, and we have the uh, beginning of the promises uh, that God has made, and also the journey to uh, Egypt in chapter 12. 
And then we see Lot and uh, Abraham come back from Egypt, uh, and they have uh, so many possessions and whatnot that they have to separate. And then we also see Abram's uh, receives from the Lord a, a second telling of the promise to Abram. Okay, and so that's your chart. Be working on this chart, guys. And so, as we take a look at Genesis 12 and 13, I want to uh, uh, be able to um, go through it in a nutshell. We've got three stories. And the first one is all about Abraham's faith. And the second one is all about Abraham's folly. And the third one in chapter 13 is all about Abraham's forbearance. Okay? Abraham's faith, Abraham's folly, Abraham's uh, forbearance. You know, um, he was still called Abram at that point. He had not gotten his new name of Abraham that we'll see later on. Okay, and so as we focus in on Abram's faith, um, you see that there's a pattern to this little uh, section of nine verses. He's given two commands. First, he's told to leave and go, and then he's told to be a blessing. And each of those commands is followed by three promises. He's told to leave because God says, I'm going to make uh, a great nation from you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And what does that make us do? It makes us think back to the Tower of Babel. And what were those guys trying to do? They were trying to make their own names great. Here God says to Abram, I'm going to make your name great. And the second command was to be a blessing. And God tells uh, Abram that uh, he will bless those who uh, bless Abram, and he'll curse those who disdain him, and that all the families of the uh, world will be blessed in Abram. And so the story follows the pattern of call, obedience, confirmation, and further obedience. That's the first little section, verses uh, 1 through 9 of chapter 12. And then we move on to uh, Abraham's folly. There's a famine in the land, so what does he do? Does he stop and pray? Does he build altars like we've seen him do in that first nine verses? Well, no, he takes it upon himself. He picks up the family, and he leaves the promised land and, go da- and goes down to uh, Egypt. Okay? And that's where the trouble begins. And you know, as you consider each one of these stories, think about it. Is he seeking clarity or is he um, being willing to trust God? Clarity or trust? Okay? In the first story, definitely he came down on the trust side because he didn't have a whole lot of clarity, it seems like, uh, from what we know from Scripture. And in the uh, move down to Egypt, it it seems like he was trying to get some clarity. He says, hey, there's a famine. I can't feed my family, so I'm going to take care of it by heading down to Egypt. And you know, guys, you've probably found this to be true like I have, that sometimes, you know, we actually do the right things. And we demonstrate faith in a way that, you know, probably even surprises ourselves. Okay? Okay? And those times are often followed by great failure. And that's what we see in this little story. Abraham demonstrates great faith in responding to the call. But now he has a chance uh, to provide for his family. And so we pick up and go down to Egypt. And uh, then that's where he starts to get in trouble. 
and great faith of uh, verses 1 through 9 is followed by a, a great failure in verses 10 through 20. And you know, that story also in the, uh, illustrates that God will use whatever means is necessary to get our attention. And you know, you think about it, he was blessed with a lot of material possessions uh, while he was in Egypt. And you go, well, what's so bad about that? But as you um, read further on in the life of uh, uh, Abram, you see quickly in chapter 13, what happened with all that material wealth that he was given? Well, it caused uh, um, Abram and Lot to have to separate because the land simply wasn't sufficient to be able to feed all those flocks and whatnot. And then uh, later on in chapter 16, we're going to hear about uh, a woman named Hagar. And Hagar is always described as an Egyptian handmaiden uh, to Sarah. And so, you know, it's probably likely that Hagar came around and was one of the uh, servants that was given to Abraham when he was in Egypt. So even great great rewards sometimes carry the seeds of problems later on, and Abram certainly uh, figures this out. When we're talking about Abram's folly and the trip down to Egypt, it makes us uh, think about the parallels and remember the context. Moses is sitting there talking with a generation that's getting ready to um, go take the promised land. They've been in Egypt. Uh, But think about the parallels between Abram's story and the story of the Exodus uh, uh, in the book of Exodus. Famine was what took the family down there. When they uh, got there initially, they were given gifts and whatnot. The travel to Egypt was to escape the famine. Uh, There were plagues. And ultimately, in both cases, Pharaoh sends the people away. And they are sent away with spoils from Egypt. And one of the things that's characteristic of this little section in uh, Genesis 12, 10 through 20, is that where is Abram's faith? You know, in verses 1 through 9, we see him uh, worship the Lord. We see him build altars and whatnot. But there is no mention in verses 10 through 20 of that same thing going on. No mention of that. Okay, and so did he have clarity? Well, he probably had clarity. He said, hey, there's a problem. There's a famine here in the land. I'm going to Egypt. That's pretty clear. But did he have trust to instead say, I'm going to depend on the Lord to provide what I need to be able to feed my family? And so let me just close that little section with a principle that it is foolish for us to try to deliver ourselves from difficult situations by deceptive schemes. Don't ask for clarity. Pray for trust instead, that you'll trust in God's provision to take care of it. And sometimes we need to just be willing to man up and take the consequences for our own foolish acts and then seek the Lord's provision to um, make straight your paths. And the third little section that we have is Abraham's forbearance, and that's all of chapter 13. And you know, guys, sometimes the best way that you can recover from failure is to revisit a place of faithfulness so that you can refocus on what's truly important. 
And that's what he does. He goes back to a place where he had built an altar to the Lord. And you can just see how he once again began to capture the mindset of worship and trust that sustained him in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 9. You know, I think one of the things that's important about chapter 13 is that you see a great contrast between walking by sight and walking by faith. And doesn't Lot remind you of somebody? Reminds me of Eve sitting in the garden, you know, hanging with the wrong snake, um, is the just doing the wrong things, depending on the, uh, what she sees with her eye and how that fruit looked delicious. And Lot does the same thing. You know, when Abram talks to him and says, hey, buddy, you go first. He lifts up his eyes and he sees this great fertile land and uh, he's attracted by that. Even though that land uh, comes with uh, uh, evil men that inhabit uh, the city of Sodom. And he goes to live there, and before you know it, he's, he starts off, he's living outside the city, but as we'll see later on in Genesis, before you know it, he's living inside the city, surrounded by those evil men. So don't miss the parallels within Genesis 13 itself. You see Abram's speech in verses uh, 8 and 9, that he gives Lot the choice uh, uh, of which land he would rather have. And then in verses 14 through 17, you see God uh, give Abraham, give Abram the whole land. In verse 10, you see Lot lift up his eyes and uh, um, see the land that he desires. Uh, But in verse 14, God tells Abram to lift up his eyes and that he'll give him this entire land. And Don't miss the uh, uh, fact that in chapter 13, it both begins and it ends with Abram in worship by building an altar, okay? And so these two chapters are all about choices. Good choices, bad choices, choices made in faith, choices made in foolishness. But, you know, the great thing is that God is still faithful to his word and his promises, even in the midst of of our own personal failure. And man, that is something that we can take to the bank. And so just as that's true of our daily choices today, um, we've got to make the decision, am I going to trust my eyes and the things that I see, or am I going to trust the things that I know that God provides? And so let's spend the next few minutes just taking a look at verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 12 and focus on uh, Abram's call. Because this is the central passage of the book of Genesis. It's the foundation of the Abrahamic promises that John will be talking about next week that are formalized in a covenant in Genesis 15. And it's also the beginning of the nation of Israel as a worshiping community. Okay? And so think about the context. Moses is talking with these folks who have become this uh, nation And he's instructing them about um, the faith of their father Abraham to encourage them to be prepared to go take, finally, the promised land. And let's take a second and just think about the call that God put on Abram. So he's sitting there in the land of uh, Mesopotamia, in the city of Ur, a great city, 
And uh, he's a prosperous guy. He's middle-aged. He's about 75. He's settled. You know, life is pretty good for Abram. And then all of a sudden, God comes to him and says, I want you to leave. I want you to leave your family. I want want you to leave your father's family. I want you to leave everybody that you know, and I want you to go. And does he tell him where he's going to go? No, he simply says, I'll show you. And so God knocks all the props out from under Abram and says, I want you to go and I want you to trust me. And what does Abram do? Well, he goes. And he leaves behind everything he knows in the city of Ur and he travels. And in doing so, you know, Abram becomes the epitome of faith, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Guys that were in here for Romans, think about Romans 4. Who is held up as the picture of faith uh, that Paul talks about? None other than Abram. And uh, in Romans 4, Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6, and talks about how Abram believed God and his faith was reckoned to him or accounted to him as righteousness. He became the epitome of faith. And so three principles here. If you want to be blessed, and who doesn't want to be blessed, then you've got to do what the Lord asks you to do. You've got to be willing to say yes when the Lord calls. And, you know, he calls us with a lot of things in his word, and so we are called to be faithful to his word. And here's an obvious one. Build altars to the Lord, worship the Lord instead of worshiping ourselves. Pretty obvious, but uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's hard to do. Sometimes, you know, I want to make an altar to Crotty, not to the Lord. But he says, build altars to me, Uh, instead of building altars to yourself. And then finally, you know, it's never too late to start being faithful. 75 years old, Abram gets the call. And that's something that I can empathize with. You know, I um, practiced law here in Dallas for a long time, 30 plus years. And I uh, happened to be uh, volunteering at a training day event that we had um, in February of 2007. In fact, it was February 24th, 2007. Uh, just, you know, uh, three, three more days from today. And um, I walked in uh, to training day bright and early, and there at the front door greeting us was none other than Blake Holmes. And uh, he said, hey, uh, let's have lunch today um, while we're in the middle of uh, training day. But there's something I want to talk to you about. And I said, okay, that'd be great. Um, I'd been a volunteer for Blake and uh, had enjoyed uh, getting the chance to work with him. And so we go to lunch over at Dickie's on Forest. You know, that's the uh, scene of all great calls from God. Um, And, uh, you know, over a barbecue sandwich, Blake starts off and he says, hey, we've been talking and we think that um, you ought to come on staff to be the minister to men. And some of you have heard this story, but uh, I, my words back to Blake were, you know, I used to think you guys were really smart guys, but that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I said, you know, 
I can spell seminary if you tell me how many E's and I's it has, but I'm not going, you know? Hadn't been, don't plan to go. And he said, no, look, you don't get it. He said, we're not looking for a seminary guy. We're looking for a guy that knows how to lead men. And I have been privileged to have a number of positions where I've had a chance to lead guys. And so I do know how to do that. Um, and I just said, no, buddy, you don't want me. You want somebody that, you know, is trained and you can uh, just turn them loose to go do ministry and that sort of thing. And he said, no, we can teach you what you need to know about ministry. We want a guy who loves the word, and I certainly plead guilty to that, and who knows how to lead guys and who likes the chance to interact with guys. And so, you know, I started running through this kind of laundry list of questions to ask yourselves. And let me tell you, I looked hard to find something that would tell me that, um, you know, that this did not line up with the Word of God. Uh, But I couldn't find anything there. And, um, you know, it was certainly not going to be anything that was going to make my name more famous. And so I figured it had to be making the Lord's name more famous. And um, I started doing uh, what bullet point three up there talks about. And I started meeting with guys on staff, not on staff. I met with guys who didn't even go to this church. Uh, I met with guys, uh, um, a couple of them, who uh, um, weren't even Christians. And, uh, but they knew me well. I knew them well. And frankly, it gave me a great opportunity to talk with them about uh, spiritual things and about what I felt was important in life. Um, and in the process of doing that, it also gave me a great opportunity to, um, pray seriously with my wife about, hey, what is next for us? She was there when, uh, um, uh, we had lunch. So it was Blake and Sarah and me. And, uh, we processed through this. I, I met with Van Beckwith. Uh, some of y'all know Van. He used to, uh, he's the outside general counsel basically for our church. He used to lead the Money Wise ministry here. And I, I sat down with Van and I just rolled out all my finances and said, hey, buddy, do you think I can make this work if I uh, take a little bit of a pay cut to come uh, work here at Watermark? And, um, you know, he gave me confidence that I could make it work. And so I processed this thing through and um, ultimately came to the decision, hey, I don't know that I had clarity because I, I really had not felt a call to go into ministry. But I did have the trust that, hey, um, God would use me in the midst of this, and God would be faithful to his promises uh, if I would, uh, um, you know, devote my heart to serving him. And so I called Blake uh, uh, after processing this for about a month, uh, because Sarah and I really did understand that this was a burn-your-ship sort of decision. That, you know, there I was, I was 55 years old and kind of in the prime of my earning uh, career for practicing law. And it would be difficult to go back. And so I just said, uh, okay, um, I'm coming. Uh, and so, um, you know, it was funny. Uh, as soon as I made that call to Blake, Sarah was sitting there as I made that call. She looked at me and said, uh, you know, as soon as he asked, I knew that you were going to say yes. 
And I, I said to her, I said, well, dear, why don't you just tell me that up front so I wouldn't have had to waste all that time talking with 30 or 40 guys. Um, and she laughed too. Um, but, you know, to me, that was like Abram received some confirmation from an appearance of the Lord. Well, this wasn't the Lord appearing, but it was confirmation that, you know, my best friend in the world and a girl who I trusted with my life um, said, hey, I think this is the thing that uh, God would have us be about. Um, And so, guys, the final thing is, are you praying for clarity or trust as you make decisions in life about the things that the Lord would call you to? Well, first of all, he's calling each of us to have a relationship with him, okay? And we can only do that by trust. And then as he calls us to do different things, he's asking us, hey, do you need clarity or do you need trust? And I'm here to tell you that as Abraham depended on the trust side and didn't have the clarity side, um, I'm six years into this thing and it's, uh, it's been great. I've had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, I've learned a ton, and uh, it's been a privilege to get to hang out with you guys. And so it is, uh, it, it's been something that I didn't need a lot of clarity, but I did need a, a fair amount of trust. And so my prayer for you guys as you process these decisions is that you will seek trust, not clarity. Okay? Um, great chapter, two great chapters that we have today. And so next week we'll be up here, uh, John will be up here talking about Genesis 14 through 17. Don't miss that. Um, trust me on this. Okay, don't miss next week. And the final thing, uh, let's put a, the last slide up. Uh, you know, Jeff Ward was up here last week talking about a cool thing uh, called Faith at Work that uh, um, he and his team are about. And they are going to have a meeting at 8 o'clock after we get done here at Summit. It'll be over in the loft that's just right over there up here on the second floor still. And uh, um, it will be a great opportunity to talk about how you guys can be a blessing uh, by simply providing job opportunities for a a bunch of guys who uh, uh, will be willing to earn your trust as you go through. So thanks for this time, and thanks for you guys, and uh, let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to uh, uh, trust in you, and we're grateful that you seek to have relationship with us, and that you call us not to clarity necessarily, but to trust you. And so, Father, give us hearts to trust you. Let us be men who um, uh, hear your call to have relationship with you and then to, uh, who are willing to go tell others uh, about you and to do it boldly. Father, may we be uh, men marked by trust in you. In your son's name, amen.